Welcome to the 10th episode of The Rob Burgess Show. I am, of course, your host, Rob Burgess. This episode is historic. We're now in double digits, and we now have our first returning guest. You first heard Jonathan Fowler on episode two of the podcast. Jonathan graduated with a BA in history from Indiana University in 2006. He is an unabashed left-wing political junkie. He has lived and worked in South Korea for over nine years, trying to help the citizens of that great nation hopefully talk pretty one day. I've just signed up for an Amazon Associates account, and I'll be posting links to relevant products on each episode's page on the show's website, www.therobburgessshow.com. If you click the links and then purchase that item, I understand I get a small bit back in return. Thanks for the support. Help the show reach a wider audience by rating, reviewing, and subscribing to the podcast on iTunes at tinyurl.com forward slash The Rob Burgess Show. You can also find The Rob Burgess Show on Stitcher at www.stitcher.com forward slash podcast forward slash the dash Rob dash Burgess dash show. Google Play Music at tinyurl.com forward slash The Rob Burgess Show Google Play. Tune in at tinyurl.com forward slash The Rob Burgess Show. Tune in. YouTube at tinyurl.com forward slash The Rob Burgess Show. YouTube, where you'll also find a playlist for the songs discussed on this episode. You can also subscribe directly to the RSS feed at tinyurl.com forward slash The Rob Burgess Show RSS. If you're an Android user, visit subscribe on android.com forward slash tinyurl.com forward slash The Rob Burgess Show RSS. You can find more about me by visiting my website, www.thisburgess.com. Follow me on Twitter at Rob Burgess Show. Like the page on Facebook at The Rob Burgess Show. Follow on SoundCloud at The Rob Burgess Show. The email for the show is show at gmail.com. And now on to the show. Hello? Hey, John. Hey, Rob. How are you? Good, good, man. Are you uh, still at uh, dinner? Oh, no. I'm, uh, I just got home. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, sorry. I uh, I had a dinner scheduled with uh, a student and her husband, who has also formerly been my student, and their two daughters were pretty young, so I thought it would be a fast dinner. But we ended up having a few drinks, too, after that. So. Oh, okay. I see. So uh, that's a caveat for anything controversial you might say after this point, right? <laughs> yeah, chop and drink. <laughs> Exactly. No, getting out a little bit, but um, <laughs> I'm prepared to discuss many things. But. <laughs> well, good, good, man. Um, well, thanks for being back on. I appreciate it. It was it was fun last time, and your like I said, your uh, yeah. your episode was the still the most popular um, by uh, statistics here. It seems like a lot of people in South Korea are actually listening right now uh, to the Jonathan Fowler episode. Um, really, I, I'd love to see that data because I've. I've, you know, I mentioned to a couple people that I know that I had done this and stuff, and so some of them, if they if they went out and listened to it, and you know, everybody wins, I guess. 
Well, I think uh, I think it's got to be interesting for South Koreans to hear what an American living there must think of things, you know, from their perspective, you know. So I think that might be part of the appeal or whatever. So. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. Anyway. I've got to be careful what I say. <laughs> now that you know that you've got uh, people in the country listening. Um, but, yeah, yeah. But uh, thanks for coming back on. And, uh, yeah, you're, I think, going to be our first repeat guest here. So. Well, it's an honor. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, I, I listened to the new episode. The latest episode at the time of this recording was my younger brother. I listened to that today on my lunch break. Yeah, what'd you think? So that was interesting. That was really good. Yeah, it was interesting. I, you know, I got to rehash some of the history of the early bands that he was a member of and some of the old names that were in that group and stuff and uh, also what he's been working on more recently, too. For sure, for sure. Um, yeah, that was that was a fun one for sure. Like I said, I uh, we need to get your dad on now, and uh, I don't know if there's any other family members to to complete the circle or whatever. Yeah, but, mom, uh, mom might go on there. Too. Okay, cool, cool, awesome. Yeah, I'd love to have her. So, uh, but yeah, man, it's been pretty eventful since we talked last. Uh, a lot of things been happening in the world, and uh, me personally, obviously, but um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. The uh, with the uh, you know, looks like it's going to be Hillary versus Trump in the American presidential election here. So are you uh, are you writing off the remainder of the Sanders campaign yet? Well, I voted for him on last Tuesday uh-huh. from from abroad, but um, you know, and I'm very you know pleased and proud that he pulled it off in Indiana. You know, I think. Because, I mean, because the media was already saying it was almost an impossibility for him to win, I think that could have been a discouraging factor for some some voters, but it seems like he still carried the state, so that was good. Mm-hmm. But you don't think he can take it all the way? I mean, he's, I think his point now is that uh, it's going to be a quote-unquote contested convention because, well, it won't really be contested. It's just that he's saying that now that we're to this point, Hillary is going to have to rely on those super delegates to get to the finish line. So, yeah, well, it seems like I mean, from what I've heard, it sounds like he would have to win the remaining states by sixty-five to seventy points, um, which is, you know, I mean, you know, there's a lot of a lot of hope and a lot of optimism involved in his campaign, but I think that's maybe a little bit much hope and optimism, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but um, I think he's I think he's doing good things. I mean, really, the only wild card left is the FBI investigation of Hillary, which you know, mm-hmm. who knows what's going to happen with that. So. Right. Well, I saw a headline. I didn't read the story, but um, it was this uh, hacker named Gussifer. I think that's how you say it. Uh, he was saying that he actually infiltrated Hillary's email back in a couple years ago when she was Secretary of State. Um, and there's, you know, obviously reason to believe him because he is the same one who, uh, I don't know if you remember the paintings that George W. Bush uh, was doing. Uh, oh, yeah. That was revealed yeah. through him hacking into the Bush family email. So that was the same guy. So, um, okay. I'm guessing that, that if he can do that to the the Bush family, I don't I don't see why he wouldn't be able to do it to Hillary's private servers. So. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. I'm you know I'm not a tech guy, mm-hmm. but um, I would I mean it seems like this this Hillary server was something that existed for a period of time in a very specific place. Mm-hmm. 
And so, and most people probably didn't even really know about it back when it was being operated, when it was operating. So, I don't know if it's a case where you could retroactively go back and, you know, um, access that from the future when it doesn't really, it's not open or it's not existing anymore. Mm -hmm. Or if that's something that he was aware of at that time that he was able to hack into. Right, right. Well, and I think Hillary's argument is that, and I've heard her say this on some of the debates, is that things were classified retroactively. So at the time they weren't classified, but now in retrospect they have been. So I I guess that makes sense, but still, I don't know. It's, it's, It's quite a, it's quite, a, it's just one of those unforced errors for the Clintons that just really frustrates people that would like to get more on her side for certain things, but it's like you're just shooting yourself in the foot again, you know, by something that no one forced you to do, so. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, as a, as a longtime Democrat, I want to say, you know, leave Hillary alone, and, you know, it, it, it's, not a, it's not a scandal. As Bernie said, you know, several months ago, that's sick of hearing about your damn emails. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as a Bernie supporter, I'm like, you know, hey, if you wanted to leak some damaging info about the Hillary camp right now, uh, I, I couldn't complain too much. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> so I'm conflicted. But right. Do you, you know, think? Uh, do you think he's hurting her chances in the general by continuing to stay in the race and, and attacking her like this at this point? I mean, I've I've heard some people grousing about that at this point. Well, I don't think he's attacking her, really. I mean, he mm-hmm. said she was, you know, it was a controversial thing, and some people screamed sexism when he said that she was unqualified. But I think, I don't think he's saying she's not qualified for any reason and that she's a woman or that, you know, mm-hmm. that she doesn't have the, on paper, she doesn't have the credentials that, you know, a presidential candidate would want to have. But I think he's saying, just based on her decision-making and the number of mistakes and the number of flip-flops that she's done, those things are disqualifying. So, mm-hmm. But I don't know that that's really an attack. I mean, that's not – if you look at what the Republicans say about each other every day, mm-hmm. it's hardly an attack. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, it, it's hard because I, I think that she does deserve criticism for those things. But at the same time, I know there are people that are just, you know, misogynist, you know, and, and super right wing uh, people that are we're never going to like her anyway, that you accidentally find yourself on the same side of if you, you know, start questioning her. You know what I mean? It's like you're, you come to the same point from different places and it's like, wait, <laughs> who am I standing on the same side with now? <laughs> so, um, yeah, that is a that is a concern, but yeah, I, I think that the details do matter, and the you know the logic and how you get to that point matters. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's um, do I think that he is damaging her by staying in the race? Well, I think he's already damaged her through no fault of his own, really, just by presenting himself as a an ideologically consistent and relatively pure. Um, politician of the left-wing side, mm-hmm. and when you juxtapose that with what she has been, um, you know, somebody, she looked like a pretty good candidate before he came along, and now she doesn't look like such a good candidate, and, you know, the Bernie or Bust thing is in full swing now, and so, uh, yeah, has he damaged her? I think yes. Has he damaged her chances? Yes. But is that his fault? I don't really think it is. Mm-hmm. I mean... I think that if she had been ideologically consistent and if she had really stood for what she believed in all these years, if she really believed in the liberal stuff, then, well, you know, maybe she would have never made the Senate or maybe she would have lost her position or maybe she wouldn't have gotten the Secretary of State job. Mm-hmm. But she would be in a, you know, better position now to say, you know, I'm this candidate and this is what I believe in. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and if and if Hillary's upset about you know the tone or whatever at this point, it's that's nothing compared to what is about to be unleashed. You know, her direction. You know, come the general. You know, once there's like a billion dollars of attack ads and you know Donald Trump going after her tooth and nail, it's going to seem like child's play um, compared to that. You know, so yeah. I think it's it's about to get very exciting, one way or the other, and I don't know which way it's going to go. I mean, I could see her making him look like a completely incompetent fool who doesn't get anywhere near the White House. But at the same time, I read an article on Box, I think it was earlier today, that said that from this point on, the media is because the media has to portray everything as a dichotomy, like well, this side says this and that side says that, and we can't really say who's right or wrong. They say because the mainstream media is going to take that tone with it, they're going to make Donald Trump look a lot more presidential than mm-hmm. he might, you know, otherwise look. I mean, they said in the article, I forget who wrote the article, I wish I could remember their name right now, but they said that, you know, right now Hillary Clinton hasn't insulted wide swaths of the population and she hasn't been sexist and racist and, well, you know, not like Donald Trump has. Some people are saying that the... Uh, what do you call it? The super predator stuff in the early nineties was kind of racist in retrospect. So, mm-hmm. um, but but they said you know she hasn't done all these horrible things that this guy's done. But for him, if he just stops doing any of these things for a few days, the media instantly wants to say, oh, you know, Donald Trump is looking very presidential now. But for her, you know, she's held to a much higher standard mm-hmm. because she's obviously much more qualified than he is as far as being a professional person, a responsible person, and not a discriminatory person in some ways. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, it could go any direction. Um, you're right about the false dichotomy thing, and it is a frustrating uh, thing that we have to deal with. And I think what's what's really going to hurt all of us is that people don't recognize this as a special case. A lot of people are just behaving as if we're in a general, like just a usual kind of election, and this is anything but. And obviously, Donald Trump is anything but a normal candidate. Um, you know, you can see this on the Republican side. All these uh, people, including our uh, esteemed Governor Mike Pence uh, falling in line behind Trump, and and those are the people that I have the most contempt for right now because, you know, like David Duke, for example, you know, former Klan leader, you know, when he endorses Donald Trump, of course, like he, I expect that, you know, that makes sense to me. When people who have supported Donald Trump who weren't Republicans in the first place, who've maybe never voted, and they're coming into the political system because they like Donald Trump, I get that. I I don't have anything to say to them. I can't. If you can't see Trump for what he is, I have, I have no, like, what else am I going to tell you to try to convince you? Um, I, I get that. But but the mainstream Republicans that are... What's that? That they, they like it. I'm saying, I don't think it's not that they can't see, I don't think it's that they can't see what he is. I think it's that they see what he is and they like it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. But the mainstream Republicans that are lining up behind him now just because he's the Republican nominee, um, especially the ones that had, like, for example, Pence, you know, he met with all, all three of the remaining, uh, you know, candidates, Republican candidates when they were in the state. And then he, before, right before the election, endorsed Cruz. And then as soon as Cruz flamed out, um, spectacularly, by the way, <laughs> 
Um, yeah. He, uh, he then just switched his allegiance to Trump. And this is after Cruz spent the whole couple days when he was in Indiana just talking about how terrible Donald Trump was and he's a con artist and he's playing you for fools. And, you know, I, I think we're going to see Cruz fall in line too. I, I almost can guarantee it. Um, and it's, and it's yeah. these mainstream yeah. Repu- establishment Republicans who just are going through the motions like it's any other election and, oh, we're going to get behind the candidate no matter what. And it's like, you're legitimizing this guy. You're, you're get, you're the, you're allowing this to happen. You're allowing him to take over your party. Yes, he won the thing, but you don't have to stand by and let it happen and not say anything or, or actively support it just because he's in the same party. And I think if you do that, you love your party more than your country. So, yeah, yeah I, I saw you, you had a Facebook post about something mm-hmm. like that and it, yeah, it rings true to me. And I, yeah, I think, I think I saw, I saw an article on the Atlantic today and I didn't open the article, but it said, this is, it, it was basically the title was something like, this is where the Republican, various members of the Republican party are, this is what they're saying right now. And I think the implication was over the next weeks and months, it's going to change. They're going to say, no, we have to support this guy who just a few weeks ago I was calling incompetent, you know, a buffoon, a clown, a fool, you know, a circus ringleader or whatever, that they're going to fall in line and just have kind of on record what they were saying right now so that we know when they change their mind later, they don't really mean that. And so it's going to expose their hypocrisy. Um, and, I, you know, I would have, I, you know, this. He, he, they, they'd say a lot of things about how he could destroy the Republican Party which is, you know, fascinating and interesting and, you know, interesting to think about. I don't think that will happen because I think voters have a very short memory, mm-hmm. mostly, by and large, in general. Um, you know, in eight years, if somebody comes along and they're talking about, you know, and they seem reasonable, people say, oh, well, the Republicans have a reasonable candidate. And, you know, that seems logical, and I can support them. But if a lot of Republicans... I think I would have much more respect for any Republican who said, you know what, 2016 is not our year. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to lose. We deserve to lose if this is the guy that we put forward. And I'm going to let us lose, and I'm not going to support this. And then, you know, in four years, we're going to come back stronger with a reasonable candidate. Mm-hmm. And we're going to kind of have a start. We're going to start over from a reasonable place. Mm-hmm. I would have much more respect for any Republican who did that mm-hmm. rather than saying, oh, well, this is our candidate. Well, I have to support the eventual candidate, no matter who it is, no matter what he does or says. And I don't know. We'll, we'll just see what everybody does. Mm-hmm. Um, the Bushes, over the past couple of days, they've said that George W. Bush, mm-hmm. George H.W. Bush, yeah. love them or hate him, they said they're not going to endorse Trump at all. Yeah, Mitt, Mitt Romney, I believe, said something similar to that as well. Um, yeah. Which... Ron says Bush or Trump is hurting his campaign for Senate re-election or mm-hmm. whatever in Arizona. Yeah, for and sure. These are not guys that I really like or you know have any affinity for, but... If they're willing to stand on principle and throw this election, mm-hmm. and, you know, good on them in that in this case. Whatever you want to say about Hillary, and we obviously, you know, if people have heard us talk, they know that we have many problems with Hillary. Um, but at the same time, you know, it basically, I mean, let's be real. If Hillary's elected, um, it's basically just going to be a third term of Obama, effectively. That 
that's pretty much what it's going to feel like. You know, she's probably just going to continue most of his policies. She might be a little more hawkish on certain things. She might be a little more this, a little more that. But by and large, it is just going to be pretty much what we've seen. And, you know, we're all still here. You know, nobody's, we're not in the FEMA camps with our guns taken away yet. So it hasn't happened yet. So <laughs> I think we're all going to be okay. Yeah. Donald Trump becomes president, like we've talked about. It could be the last president. It could be over for us because, you know, what about him says, let's give that guy nuclear weapons to you? Like, well, what about it? <laughs> so, I mean, I think, I think the best hope if, if Trump wins is that he realizes that he is, you know, he's basically essentially the dog that has metaphorically caught the car. <laughs> and he says, holy shit, what have I done? Okay, I need to get serious and actually, you know, figure out how to be a reasonable person. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that's in his DNA. No, I don't think I, everyone's like, when is he going to switch to being presidential? It's like, he is incapable. He can't do it. He can't keep it yeah. for two seconds straight in his head how to do he's that. Like, he's in his 70s now. What's that? Uh, he's not going to, you know, he's in his 60s or 70s now. Yeah. He can't keep the old dog new tricks with this guy. <laughs> Well, the the tricks, the old tricks have been working so well for him, you know, his whole life, and this like whole like, you know, name calling and and you know uh, talking about blood coming of, out of the wherever, as we all will immortally remember about Megyn Kelly, he said. But um, you know, like you know, that that kind of thing is 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 just the way he operates. He can't he can't be anything but that. And and anytime he tries, like when he spoke in front of APAC, the you know the Jewish uh, whatever the Israeli, you know what I'm talking about that organization yeah. like he for yeah, once yeah. used like notes for his speech because he's like I need, I'm going to talk for five minutes and I need to keep this straight so that's as long as he can go he's, he can just you know, deliver a short speech but beyond that it's like he'll, he's off to calling people fat pigs and losers and you know what I mean he just can't he's just not in his DNA to be presidential or whatever yeah. so. if, I, if I remember even when he spoke to APEC he was saying some stuff that was kind of like you know, borderline, he was like, um, now I know everybody in this room is a good negotiator. I mean, come on, I'm a good negotiator. I know you're all good negotiators. Like, uh, you're, you're, are you saying that, you know, Jews are kind of shrewd negotiators? <laughs> yeah, I remember that. <laughs> Anti-Semitic undertone there, which, you know, of course there is. He's a fascist. Uh, <laughs> but, but, yeah, if he, if he managed to stay on script for parts of that speech, then, you know, congratulations. But, um, yeah, I think people are really eager, especially in the news media, to give him credit for becoming more presidential. Mm-hmm. And he has set the bar so low that he has to do almost nothing. You know, like <laughs> I said, when he stopped calling Ted Cruz Lion Ted for one day, you're like, oh, is he turning over a new leaf? Is he, is he going to be respectful now? Yeah. And then, you know, a day or two later, he's back at it again. Yeah. Yeah. I literally heard somebody, I can't remember who it was like some commentator, like after he, you know, was like, Oh, Ted Cruz, he's a very tough candidate. You got to give it to him. And they were like, Oh, what a gracious speech uh, from, from, from Donald Trump. It's like, are you serious? He called his dad an accomplice to Kennedy's murder a day before. And it's like, mm-hmm. I think the, the media, you know, somebody was, a, there was somebody, some Hollywood guy, some director or something was on morning Joe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yesterday and um he kind of said they said like well why do you think he's so powerful why do you think he's so much so many votes and he said well well because obviously there are a lot of racists in america and these guys were all outraged on the show like willie geist and you know mm-hmm. Nika Brzezinski and joe scarborough himself and all these guys were just absolutely outraged 
But I think that's the most important thing not to forget is that this guy is clearly racist. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, you know, when it comes to the Bernie bro stuff or as far as the Bernie or bust movement or whatever, the reason I'm, I have a lot of trouble committing to that is because at the end of the day, if I were a Hispanic person or if I were a Muslim person, this guy could never be acceptable, mm-hmm. you know, because of the things that he says and the things that he clearly believes. So, um, so even even though I'm not those things, I can't accept him now, and I can't pretend that he's just a normal candidate, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think the news media, when when members of the media pretend that this guy deserves just as much of a fair shake as anybody else, they forget the fact that this guy is absolutely a nightmare for entire demographic sections of the American population. Mm-hmm which is, you know, and that's dangerous. You can pretend that that's not dangerous, but that's kind of a lie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, one thing uh, on uh, one of my other friend, uh, Josh, who was one of my former co-workers at the paper here, he has a podcast also about sports, but they talked about the election here. But he was saying that um, 49% of Indiana women voted for Trump, of, of Indiana Republican women, excuse me, voted for Trump. Like, like as, as much as it's like, yeah, most women don't like him, it's still amazing how many women and Hispanics. It's like, yes, yeah, 70% of Hispanics hate Trump. That's nice. 30 percent apparently still do like him like it's like it's still like even that small amount is like wow what is wrong with you like are you not listening what do you not like yourself do you not like respect your own uh you know <laughs> but it's yeah it's it's yeah. crazy I, guess, I mean i guess the argument could be made that there are you know certain divisions within the hispanic community um mm-hmm. you know some people point out that the cuban americans largely were granted you know, they were welcomed into America because they were fleeing communism. Mm-hmm. And so they were not, never, nobody ever attempted to deport them or anything. So that they have been kind of brought in more into the right wing policy, um, side of the spectrum. And also because, you know, Democrats are more likely to perhaps take a more lax view of the border than Republicans are. Mm-hmm. And, so I don't know. It's kind of weird how they say, "Well, you know, we came over here and nobody, nobody did anything bad to us." But you know, if Mexican Mexican laborers want to come to America, they should have a hard time. Mm-hmm. They should be prohibited. They should be sent back or whatever. Yeah. And so it's kind of interesting how the Cuban American community um, seems to be generally a little bit more hawkish and a little bit more likely to take a hawkish stance on immigration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, uh, since we've talked last, I actually saw Rafael Cruz, the father of Ted Cruz, speak in Kokomo. I guess he goes out kind of before, I mean, not anymore, because, you know, there's no more uh, Cruz campaign. But yeah. at the time, he would kind of go ahead of uh, the campaign and kind of soften up the, you know, evangelical vote or whatever. And, you know, this is obviously, like we've talked about, a guy that came from Cuba and is super right-wing and super evangelical. Um, and he was like, you know, I guess I'm an immigrant but i came here legally and it's like i you know it's like i got here now no one else can come <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah i mean and you know as, as, as much as trump talks about you know stopping immigrants i mean has he ever married a woman who wasn't an immigrant <laughs> <laughs> well the joke i've heard is that you know it's another case of uh, foreigners doing jobs that americans won't do so <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah but 
Yeah, yeah. pretty pretty interesting. Uh, speaking of, of Trump's ex-wife, I don't know if you saw that photo he tweeted out of him eating a taco bowl the other day. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was funny because uh, he was like, I love Hispanics. And on uh, if, apparently if you zoom in on the photo of the him at his desk eating that, uh, there's apparently a uh, bikini-clad photo of his ex-wife, Mar- Marla Maples, on his desk uh, that he's reading underneath uh, the New York Times that he's got on his desk. <laughs> okay, well, you know, I, I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> yeah, it was from a People magazine uh, spread, but it, it, was, it was like, wow, okay, very, very presidential there, your your ex-wife bikini photos on your desk. Well, along with, just there was, there was so much happening in that photo to begin with, like, it's like, oh, well, the Mexican community forgives all your statements now that we've seen you eating a, a taco bowl. So. Taco salad. Is, I mean, that's, that's authentic Mexican cuisine, isn't it? I mean, a taco salad is a bowl like that. I'm pretty sure that's authentic. Yeah, absolutely. Yucatan, somewhere in the Yucatan, probably is where that came from. Oh, definitely. Yeah, and he also said that the best uh, taco bowl, which I don't think anyone calls it a taco bowl, I think it's a taco salad there, but like you said, yeah, not a real authentic Mexican thing. He was like, the best ones are made right here in Trump Tower. It's like, I seriously doubt that, but okay. <laughs> God, do you have Mexican workers making that? Yeah, well, <laughs> good point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's, he's he's like a he's like an online he's like an internet troll basically. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, it's been interesting to see uh, the uh, basketball coaches of Indiana lining up behind him, too, because we've had uh, Bobby Knight, I don't know if you saw that, appearing on stage with Trump uh, in Indy, um, and that, that totally made sense to me. I was like, oh, you're kidding. The world's biggest knucklehead is endorsed by the other world's big knucklehead. Like, like who would have thunk it, you know? You have anger issues? I have anger issues, too. Yeah, yeah. It's a, a meeting of the minds. Yeah, right. for the ages, absolutely. Um, but what do you think about his VP? Like, as far as what, how he's going to go, I think it's got to be a uh, a woman, right? I mean, he's going to definitely pick a woman. I think. I don't know. I mean, Ted Cruz picked Carly. I mean, if I were Donald Trump, I'd pick Carly Fiorina. Hmm. <laughs> really? Wouldn't that be funny? I mean, she just got done being uh, as a joke, you know. She just got done supporting Ted Cruz, and I offer her, hey, you want to be my VP now? And she, she, yeah, that was an incredible uh, six-day run she had as a uh, impossible VP candidate for a, for a candidate that was statistically not able to get the delegates. Like, it's like, wow, you you've managed to lose twice in the same election. Good job, Carly. <laughs> yeah, I guess she didn't get enough humiliation the first time. <laughs> She had to go out there and sing that horrifying song. That was crazy, right? We've been traveling around the country, and I've come to know Ted and Heidi and Caroline and Catherine. I know two girls that I just adore. I'm so happy I can see them more. Cause we travel on the bus all day, we get to play, we get to play. I won't bore you with any more of the song. But they have four verses, Caroline and Catherine. Love you girls. It was totally creepy. It was like a, it was, you know, it was just weird and awkward and embarrassing and, and creepy. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, she fell off the stage and the Cruz family didn't do anything to help her up. Oh, no. <laughs> I didn't see that. You know, it was, it, she crammed a lot of fail into one week. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, she was like yeah, the most unlikable person in the, uh, you know, in the primaries. She like failed miserably. And then it's like, <laughs> like I heard someone say, it's like, you don't need help doing bad, Ted Cruz. You can do bad all by yourself. You don't need help in this department. Um, but that was an interesting time for Indiana in the limelight here. Because I'm sure, as you know, we are so far back in the primary schedule that it's usually decided by the time it gets to us that this was like the one time that we were, they were like fawning over us. And I believe that was the same, you know, stretch. I think it was in the same maybe 24-hour period that he went to the uh, gym where they filmed the movie Hoosiers and called a basketball rim a basketball ring. Well, as you all know, we're here on the Hickory basketball court. And Bruce, who travels with me, Bruce, I want to ask you something. Do you have a tape measure with you? Tell me something. How tall... Is that basketball rim? Ten feet. You know, the amazing thing is that basketball rim here in Indiana, it's the same height as it is in New York City and every other place in this country. And there is nothing that Hoosiers cannot do. So that was that was a very special moment for Ted Cruz. <laughs> yeah, this guy's he's an awkward, awkward, awkward dude. And I, I just can't imagine, like, we always have to pretend that the Republicans who support Cruz instead of Trump were the reasonable ones. <laughs> yeah, I right. don't see what they see in this guy that is, you know, even if you agree with his, you know, his evangelical Christian, you know, Tea Party, you know, mm-hmm. everything. I don't see how you can see this guy. I mean, George W. Bush, I mean, we both, you know, we were in college during that time, and, you know, that was a, a an important moment in our lives was living through the Bush years, I guess. Mm-hmm. And we, I think it's safe to say we both couldn't stand, neither of us could stand George W. Bush. Right. But I could understand how people could say, well, I'd like to have a deal with the guy. I mean, the guy was funny. I mean, he was giving everybody nicknames. He was calling him, like, Shooter and, you know, mm-hmm. Turd Flower, Turd Blossom, or whatever it's called, Carl Rove. And, <laughs> and he just made up these nicknames for everybody. It was very charming in a way. Uh-huh. But Ted Cruz, you know, I don't see how you can, even if you, if that's what you're looking for, I don't see anything like that in Ted Cruz. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's one of the real tragedies of Donald Trump is that he made someone like Cruz look mainstream. You know, because any other election, if Ted Cruz was the one and, you know, Trump wasn't in it, we'd just be talking constantly about how unlikable and and crazy and and off the rails Cruz is. But, yeah, you're right. It's like somehow he became the establishment choice. Um, And then you had a really disappointing move from John Kasich in Indiana where I actually had a pretty good chance of interviewing him. I was in contact with the campaign. I was signed up to go to an event here in Noblesville. Um, I thought, you know, I had a pretty good chance. And then, you know, he was really the last hope for the uh, quote-unquote establishment, even though he'd only won Ohio uh, and that's his home state that he's the governor of for two terms. So, um, but that's really the only reason he was still in the race. But basically, what happened is he made this devil's deal with Ted Cruz, and he was like, "Oh, I'll give up Indiana, and you take you you do your best against him because apparently you you can win here, and uh, you know I'll I'll campaign in you know Arizona or wherever you know coming up here, and uh, we'll we'll trade off." And it's like too late, dude. You should have done this like you know a long time ago if you're going to do this. 
And not a good look if you're trying to secure the nomination to like give up the state right next door to the only one you've won that you're the governor of. Like we're right next door and you're going to just give it up. And now basically that's why you saw people like Mike Pence line up behind Cruz before the, you know, primary here is that he was the last, you know, candidate that wasn't Trump. And now he's like somehow the mainstream candidate. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, well, that's unfortunate. So you, you didn't get to the interview, uh, John Casey. No, I, I reached out to all the campaigns. Uh, you know, I, I, I made an honest effort to, you know, get with all of them. I contacted the cruise people, but, you know, they, I'm sure that maybe they read things I wrote and they, I never heard back from them. Uh, but, uh, and Trump, he, I don't think he gave any interviews to anybody in the state. He just showed up to these massive rallies and that was pretty much all he seemed to do. And, um, so I don't think he was really interested in doing any small time, you know, press or whatever. And of course, Kasich, you know, I lost that opportunity when he was basically giving the state up. So the Republican side closed down. I did try, you know. Um, Bernie never made it to Kokomo, weirdly, but, you know, he... uh you know, he won the state, so I guess whatever he did was was okay. So, you know, good on him. But uh, that pretty much just left the Clinton campaign, which I was in contact with. Um, and I was, you know, yeah, I, I said, hey, you know, I, I'd love to interview Hillary. And they're like, did you want to interview Hillary or one of the surrogates? It's like, well, who who you got? If Is it Bill? Yeah, I'd love to interview Bill. Is that the surrogate we're talking about? So uh, anyway, he came to Kokomo. He spoke at the Union Hall. Um, he, uh, I got there at like 7.30 in the morning for, for the pancake and, and sausage breakfast or whatever. He didn't show up till almost noon, of course. <laughs> yeah, I think even during his presidency, he was more of a night person. <laughs> Exactly. He's known for that. Yeah, he he spoke for for definitely less than an hour, uh, maybe forty minutes or so. He he had a couple intro speakers from like uh, Evan Bayh and Mike or uh, Donnelly uh, showed up. The senator uh, Joe Donnelly. Um, they spoke a little bit before him and stuff. So anyway, uh, so they never told me no. They never told me that I couldn't ask him questions. So I had I had some questions queued up, and it wasn't going to be anything like a gotcha question. I was just going to ask him, you know, what's your pitch to like moderate Republicans who don't have anybody to vote for, that type of thing. Um, And then they were like, special, they sent an email like the morning of, they were like, special, you know, off the record for planning purposes only, uh, we're going to do a meet and greet at a a local area luncheon place. And it's like, okay. And then like the location kept changing. (laughs) And then uh, they finally told us when we were piled, all the media was piled into the campaign van and they trucked us over and they're like, we're going to this, this place called Cone Palace, which is basically like they serve uh, ice cream and, uh, you know, hamburgers and stuff. And I'm like, Bill Clinton is a vegan. So I don't know what we're doing or what he's going to get here. Is Bill Clinton, he's a vegan now? Uh Uh-huh. Well, he had, like, a heart surgery or something a few years ago. Um, Dude's looking pretty thin. He he doesn't have any chunk to him. I don't know if you saw that picture, but he's pretty bony these days, so... Yeah, he's a, yeah. Yeah, I can't remember when he became a vegan. It's been a few years now, though. Yeah, he had some sort of heart situation, and I think since then. But anyway, so he shows up. Uh, we're all we're all waiting in the campaign van. Meanwhile, I'm texting with my coworker George, who's not even working that day. He just wants to be there for whenever he shows up. So he he actually went to the other place that we thought it was going to be, and I like texted him as we're like still sequestered in the campaign van. I like, text him where we are, and he like races over, gets like a hamburger and sits down like a normal customer. 
Um, okay. And then, uh, then for Bill Clinton, you might as well have a bite to eat. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, so we all wait for for Clinton to show up, and and I'm like, all right, well, I guess I got one shot to you know ask ask him a question or whatever. So I, I kind of go up, I catch him in a moment when he wasn't talking to anybody. He went behind the counter, took a picture with all the you know employees and yeah. stuff. Uh, did the did the you glad said, handing? And you said when is, when is Hillary going to release those uh, those Goldman Sachs? <laughs> That's what I should ask. That, 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 that's what this is leading to, right? Oh, absolutely. Well, no. Uh, <laughs> oh, good, good, good. <laughs> no, well, I I didn't even get much out of my mouth, uh, really, because uh, I just said, uh, you know, I was, he was like, "Hey, how you doing?" And I was like, "Hi, I'm Rob Burgess from the Kokomo Tribune," and. Uh, he just walks the other way. <laughs> like he didn't say too. Like he was just in a flash. He was like, "Nope, media, bye." That's like <laughs> didn't say another word. And then, uh, oh boy, yeah, he didn't have any time for questions. So I was like, "Well, you know, I had to shoot my shot. You know, it was my one big chance to ask a question, so I had to do it." So anyway, uh, then he goes around to the other side of the restaurant, and George is over there eating his hamburger or whatever. And so he hands me his phone, and then he goes over to Clinton, and uh, he's like, "Oh, look over there," and and you know, it's like I take his picture with. Clinton and, and I can see after I'm done taking the picture, Clinton's kind of squinting at me for a second. He takes like a beat and he's like, that's a good hat. And George goes like, yeah, it is a good hat. He wears it every day. <laughs> so I had kind of a funny little moment with your journalist hat, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. The newsboy kind of flat cap. You better describe this hat. Oh, oh, okay. Well, it's one of those uh, flat build, uh, kind of like a Kangol type hat. Not actually Kangol, but kind of a you know f- uh, short brimmed uh, flat, flat. Kind of, I don't know. They call it like a driving cap, or like you said, kind of a newsboy cap, whatever. Um, so it's kind of it's kind of a, a distinctive uh, hat, I guess you, you'd say. Uh, but yeah, he definitely took note of it, and he was like, "Oh yeah, there's that journalist that tried to corner me." <laughs> Okay. Basically, he yeah. didn't say that, but that was that was the that was the sentiment, of course. But yeah, he like kind of was like, "That's a good hat." <laughs> so. I know. He probably, he probably saw your age and your demeanor, and he said, "Oh, Bernie bro." <laughs> he had me clocked. <laughs> I mean, he's, he he knows your type. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it was it was funny. But yeah, that that was as close as I, you know. So I met Bill Clinton. I had a little moment with him or whatever. I didn't get actually asked my question, but you know, I had to try. So and then the funny postscript to that is then of course they all pile out and they had like three other campaign events around the state to get to that day. But apparently before he left town, uh, they stopped at this place called the Hippie Juice, which is this juice bar because he like he got something in a cup at this Cone Palace place, but I don't think he could eat it. Like I said, he's vegan. I don't know what the heck you'd get there that. That he could actually ingest. Maybe he just wanted to smell the meat or something. But, um, uh, anyway, he went to this juice bar afterwards to actually get something to eat, and they didn't. They didn't uh, bus us to that location. I wonder. I don't know why, but they wanted us to go to this. Like you know, maybe they didn't. Maybe they thought it would be a bad look to like have Bill Clinton go all the way to this you know, Union Factory town and go to like a juice bar and not the local ice cream well, place or whatever. So they, they already called him a draft dodger, so he doesn't want to be seen anywhere. Yeah, exactly. A, ju- a juice bar. Yeah, he can't. He can't be seen doing that. So, um, but that was kind uh, of. That's the fact that he's altered his diet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's you know. Yeah. yeah. That's well. That's good. Well, at least you got to meet him. My God, I, I you know, I used to like the guy, and I, I like the guy. I think he had some problematic, uh, you know, things that he did as a president. But mm-hmm. almost everybody does. I mean, he's never going to have a. Perfect president, but um, 
Yeah, I like the guy. I'd like to meet the guy someday if possible. Yeah, yeah, me too. I mean, and I, you know, Bill Clinton, if you're listening, we, we, I'd love to sit down someday. You know, I, I wouldn't, it wouldn't be an attack at all. I just would have some, some questions, like, like, like Jonathan's saying here about the, the speeches and you know things like that. Boy, wouldn't wouldn't that be a hell of an episode? Yeah, I would love it, man. I'm, I'm open to it. I, yeah, I'm down with it. <laughs> so. But anyway, I don't know if that's ever going to happen now that, you know, Hillary lost Indiana and she probably doesn't care about Indiana for the general. But, you know, the invitation's open, Clinton campaign, if you're listening. So. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. Appeal to young voters. Come on. Yeah, exactly. This is this is where the kids, all the kids are doing it. So, you know, reach out to those Bernie uh, supporters. But what do you think, uh, what, what would, you know, what would your plans be if you were in the Clinton or the uh, Bernie campaign for What's your end game? What do you think he should like demand, or should he be Hillary's running mate, or you know what? What do you think he should like demand, like at the end of all this? Oh boy, I mean it's going to be a hard, you know. That's a that's a tricky question. I think um, I'd like to think you know people say that you know he started a political revolution as far as getting money out of politics and this kind of stuff. But if he doesn't succeed, it's going to be hard to sustain the momentum of that movement. Mm-hmm. I think. You know, in non election year, I think a lot of this stuff is just gonna, he's gonna be an also ran kind of, which is a word that I have. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I think maybe continuing in his role as a senator, if possible, could be a good thing. And unfortunately, I don't think it would be taken too kindly if he tried to primary Hillary in 20, what is it, going to be 20, 2020, mm-hmm. the next election. Mm-hmm. And, you know, after eight years, I mean, Bernie's an old guy. I don't think that he's going to run for president in eight years. So I think this is his one shot mm-hmm. at the presidency. So I don't know. I don't know. I, I think he, I do hope, I, I am glad I was worried that he was going to get out. They were going to push him out before before Indiana got a chance to vote, which would have been very disappointing mm-hmm. in the primary. Right. So I was happy that we got to vote and that Indiana did come out supporting him. Mm-hmm. So he's got that at least. Yeah. And I think it's great that he's received enough uh, small campaign donations that he's able to uh, carry on his campaign all the way to the convention, mm-hmm. win or lose. Yeah. Um, and just allow every state to have their voice heard in mm-hmm. the Democratic primary, which is the way it should be. So. Yeah. Well, I think they really need to redo how they do this whole nomination process because, you know, for example, Indiana, all you had to do, you didn't have to register as a Democrat or Republican, as I'm sure you know. You just kind of, when you go to vote, you say which ballot you want. Um, so you can decide even up to the day of what way you're going to go. And in all those states where they have open primaries like Indiana does, Bernie consistently does better. Like he's, uh, those are like most of his wins are from states that do that. Um, but then you have places like California and New York that are closed that, um, you know, if you want to even look at it from the Republican side, Donald Trump's sons couldn't even vote for him because they didn't register as Republicans in time. Um, you know, that's, you know, on the Republican side, but there's a lot of people in California, for example, that listed their party affiliation, they thought as independent and it was 
is actually the mm-hmm. like American Independent Party, and it's like this far right wing <laughs> party that they didn't know they were signing up for. They thought they were signing up for small I independent, and <laughs> next thing they know, they're actually signed up for capital I independent, which is actually a you know far right wing party, um, and their people have to, like are having to scramble to change their you know registrations before the deadline here later this month. So, um, you know, I really think the Democratic Party and you know the Republican Party too need to look at how they do these nomination things because you know it's it's been a total mess and I think that they really need to examine the superdelegate system they really need to investigate you know which states go first like Indiana should not be this far back not just for selfishly because Indiana is a battleground state it went to Obama in 08 you know um, yeah for example, like remember all those uh, you know southern primaries uh, early in the campaign that Hillary just swept. You know that's nice or whatever, yeah. but Hillary's never going to win Mississippi, and no Democrat will. And I don't know why we care what they think early in the race. You know, so I don't know. Yeah, uh, I think unfortunately, I think you know any kind of campaign reform is something that very rapidly gets forgotten about as soon as the election's over, mm-hmm. and. You know, if Hillary becomes the president, then there's not going to be any, you know, there's not going to be any desire to change the primary system because, according to her, then the primaries worked. You know, mm-hmm. it, it benefited her the way it was supposed to. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't have a lot of hope for you know the American people having a long memory and saying, okay, well, this is our president now, but we really need to focus on some of the problems that happened during this primary. I think it's just going to be, okay, well, the election's over, and we've been dealing with it for, you know, 16 months or however many months it will have been at that point, two years or whatever it will have been. And people are just going to be fed up with it and tired of it and ready mm-hmm. ready to forget about the election stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, I don't have a lot of hope for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Well, can you say anything hopeful for the people? I feel like we're... <laughs> Leaving the subject on such um, a down down note here. <laughs> and Korea's nice this time of year. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't see a lot of uh, silver lining right now. Yeah. Right. Well, I think one way that, you know, the Clinton campaign uh, could, you know, regain some of the Bernie people's support is if they went with someone like uh, Elizabeth Warren, for example, as as a running mate. I think that that would be a great ticket. Um, I think that would really bring a lot of enthusiasm to an otherwise pretty unenthusiastic campaign season, I feel, for Hillary. You know, her biggest thing, like we've kind of talked about, is that she's not Trump and that she is presidential and she has the gravitas and the experience or whatever. To, to have the job, but you know there is not the enthusiasm like there is with Trump or Bernie, um, and that's gonna you know whatever you want to say about Trump, the people that are voting for him are excited, and nobody's really that excited about Hillary, even people that are voting for her. So she needs to find somebody like Elizabeth Warren that's gonna excite you know people to get out and vote. So yeah, but at the same time, I mean, like the vice president. I don't really know what they do. <laughs> I mean, they, I mean, there's, uh, a lot of people say that you know Elizabeth Warren is probably better off rather than being a vice president. She's better off and more influential in her position in the Senate. And you know, I, I mean, aside from aside from a you know a Dick Cheney or somebody like that, I mean, I know what Dick Cheney does as vice president. But you know, when it comes to Joe Biden or you know Al Gore. Uh, mm-hmm. 
what what do they really do? What are their what, how much power do they really have in in an administration as a vice president? Mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, if if I, I do agree, I think Hillary's you know if Hillary were smart, she would choose absolutely choose Elizabeth Warren as her running mate. Mm-hmm. I mean, I hear her talking about you know, Castro guy down in Texas or something. I don't. He's kind of like a John Kasich in that he's somebody that I've never really heard of before this election, and he doesn't you know. He may be a wonderful guy. I don't really know, but um, he's certainly not inspiring me. And, you know, maybe if I hear more about him as time goes on, he may do that. But, you know, he's not Elizabeth Warren, which is the obvious choice. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that would be not only historic from, you know, a perspective of ideologically, but it would definitely be historic for just, you know, gender-wise. And if people are, you know, going to elect the first female president, why not have it be a double female ticket, you know, if, if people, if that's what people are excited about, about Hillary, um, kind of like we yeah, talked about in the I past. I would be very excited about that. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, the, the misogyny unleashed. You have a lot of very, yeah. you have a lot of opinions you'd like to share about a double female ticket. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think I think this I think the the election is about to get into the, uh, the very very nasty phase. Mm-hmm. Now, yes. that, uh, now that we're getting closer to the general, it's going to be the gloves are going to come off, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, it's going to get nasty. Yep. So, yeah. <laughs> Good times. <laughs> Uh, so any big doings in Korea lately? I've seen, uh, some, some things in the news, but what's, what's been the word on the street there? Well, uh, we, we had talked about briefly that we might discuss the recent, um, the, the elections of the, oh yeah, basically what is the, I mean, kind of the legislator in Korea or the, uh, rather the, uh, kind of the assembly, the national assembly. Mm-hmm. And uh, that 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 went down about uh, towards the beginning of this month, or maybe a little bit midway through last month, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it was kind of surprising because I think the polling suggested that the the uh, conservative party that's in power right now would would, would retain and maybe even widen their um, their majority, but that didn't end up happening, and they actually lost their majority by about one seat in the house um, so that was kind of un, un, that was kind of surprising and I have actually talked to a few um, Korean citizens about what that means and basically they seem to think that that means that basically the president Bakun Hay has now become a lame duck and until the until 2017 when the next presidential election starts in Korea she's not going to be able to you know, rubber stamp her own uh, her own uh, agenda mm-hmm. through the uh, through the uh, the general the national assembly. Now, is it kind of a two party so, system yeah. in Korea, though? Well, until recently, it was, and you know, there were other parties also that um, that uh, you know, similar to America, that you know, the American Socialist Party or the American Nazi Party or you know, whatever all we've got, all these little minor parties that don't really have any any national uh, profile. Mm-hmm. But um, the the in Korea, they change the names of the parties periodically. Mm-hmm. And so the conservative party in Korea, when I first came here, it was called I think it was called like the Hanara Dong or something like that. It was, mm-hmm. but they recently renamed it the Sinuri Dong, which 
is kind of like the new beginning or new dawn party or something. Um, and the the Liberal Party, the left wing party, used to be called the Minju Dong, which is the Democracy Party. Um, but they've recently changed their name as well to the the Dabulo Minju Dong, which is uh, I don't I don't I can't remember exactly what the Dabulo means, but um, Minju is still democracy, and the Dong is party. So the two main parties are the Senuri Dong on the conservative side and the Minju Dong on the democratic side, or the Dabulo Minju Dong. Mm-hmm. Um, but recently, I mean. Do you remember, I mean, when you think about, okay, when you think about internet security or computer security, what companies do you think of? Uh, Norton? McAfee? I don't know. McAfee? McAfee, yeah. Do you remember, do you remember one called OnLabs? No, not off the top of my head. Okay, I think I had like an HP computer years ago that had an OnLabs antivirus or Mm. whatever. Okay. And the that that is actually a South Korean company made by a guy named An Chol Su, mm. who was a kind of a tech. He's a, he's definitely a tech guy, and he's also a university professor. That in 2012 he was running um, in the Democratic Party, basically, mm-hmm. and he was challenging the kind of he he was. I guess you could say he was almost sort of like a Bernie Sanders candidate against. The the main line, the mainstream candidate in that party who was named uh, uh, Moon Jae In, and mm-hmm. he was kind of the kind of like the Hillary Clinton in that party, the, the favor the the party favorite and everything. Mm-hmm. And they they had a kind of a falling out. They they basically they had a meeting because they were both getting pretty good numbers in the election, and they had a meeting to kind of hammer out who was going to be the candidate going forward. Mm-hmm. And from what I understand, Moon Jae-in basically told him, look, I have the support of the party, so you're not going to be it, so you might as well just surrender now and just let me be the candidate. And obviously he was upset about that and he couldn't accept it. So he took a vacation to San Diego or San Francisco in America or something for about a week, he just disappeared for about a week, and then he came back and he went to his hometown, which is out in the countryside somewhere. And then finally he... He gave in and supported Moon Jae-in, but it was less than a month or something before the general election, and it was basically too little, too late. Mm-hmm. And he had already almost split the vote a lot. I mean, it was kind of like a Bernie or Bust situation. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the left-wing supporters were kind of very upset. They had they didn't have time to kind of heal the uh, the rift between the between the the on camp and the moon camp. Mm-hmm. And so the left-wing party lost in 2012. And you know, Bak Gunhei, the daughter of the former dictator from 1961 to, I think, 1979, mm-hmm. uh, became the president. But um, over the past year, Anshul Su has broken off from the Minju Dong, the, the Democratic Party, and he started his own party, a third party, which is it's called the Kugmin Uidang, which is the People's Party. Mm-hmm. Kumin is like people, Li is possessive, and Dang is party. And so that's kind of an, another kind of, I don't know if it's, it's, I don't know if it's necessarily farther left wing than the Democratic Party, or if it's just kind of more of a centrist, but a little bit different from the Democratic Party. But, um, so they started a third party. Mm-hmm. And actually, even farther to the left than the Minju Dong, there's another party called the uh, Jungli Dong which was actually banned a couple years ago. 
because it's complicated. Um, one of the one of the members and some of the other members were having secret meetings, supposedly, where they were discussing um, contingency plans in case there was a war between North Korea and South Korea. And supposedly, one of the leading members of the party was discussing sabotaging Korean imp- infrastructure to undermine South Korea in a war against North Korea. So he was thrown in jail, mm-hmm. and the party was banned by the Senyoridan, or by the government. They were made to be an illegal party. And so that was that's kind of considered the far, far left party, and a lot of people consider them to be uh, communists, rightly or wrongly. So anyway, the breakdown of the the election this year for the for just for the uh, basically the elected congress congressional seats is that there were 300 total seats, and the the Senori Don was favored to win, but they won 122 seats. Gabulo uh, Minjudang the Democratic Party was, they won 123 seats, so they got one more seat than the Senori Dong. And then Anshul Su's People's Party, the Kukin Widong, got 38 seats. And again, they're kind of, I don't know how closely allied they are with the Democratic Party, but they may be able to form some sort of a strong majority through coalition stuff. Um, somehow the banned far-left party, the Jung Widong, they won six seats. I don't know how they were able to win any seats since they've been banned. Hmm. Um, and independent candidates won 11 seats. Hmm. So, so it was um, 122 to 123, 38, 6, and 11. Hmm. So, yeah. So anyway, that's kind of apparently 58% of the Korean population voted. I don't know. I have a feeling that that may be higher than the voting population in America, the voting percentage. But yeah, sure it's definitely the, higher. Percentage of Americans vote. Yeah, that's way higher, yeah. I think. Yeah, so that's kind of the current state of politics right now, just basically that um, it seems like the, the, the conservative party that's in power has been undermined a little bit. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's because mostly of these uh, political machinations that you're talking about, or is it more that the populace is kind of changing, the sea change of viewpoints maybe more? Well, I think, um, you know, well, that's very, very complicated. There have been a lot of um, kind of disasters that have happened, not so much last year, but the year before last, I guess, there was a, the sinking, early in the year, there was the sinking of a ship called the Sewol Ho, the Sewol Ferry, where due to total disregard of safety regulations and, you know, just totally overloading the ship that was transporting um, well over 100, 150, 200 uh, high school students on their class trip to Jeju Island, which was the, kind of the southern um, kind of a vacation island on Korea. It sank, and a bunch of kids were trapped underwater, and a lot of them died. Mm. It was really a horrible, horrible tragedy. Mm -hmm. And after that, um, there were also some other incidents where people died in in safety issues. I feel like the Minju Dong kind of made that a political issue, rightly or wrongly. I mean, I think that there could be a case that the president mishandled certain things about the response to that, that, that crisis, but I don't think that... Even if the Democratic Party had been in power in Korea at that time, I don't think that they would have changed the, the safety culture in Korea enough to have prevented these tragedies. But they made it seem like the, the majority party, the, the you know, the Senori Dong was uh, responsible beforehand in some way. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that, and so the a lot of the family members of the victims who died, the the high school that had sent their children was from a city called Ansan. Mm-hmm. And actually, Ansan is here in the same province of Chungido where I live. I live in Gumpo. And actually, Ansan is about 20 minutes farther down the subway line from where I live. So it's not far away from where I live. But um, a lot of the family members of the victims have gone and protested for the past year or so uh, close to the city center in northern Seoul. Mm-hmm. And um, they've gone on hunger strikes and various things like this, trying to get a kind of a bipartisan committee to investigate wrongdoing that has not been approved so far, I think. And while they've been on hunger strike, they've had conservative counter-protesters having pizza parties mm. uh, across the street from them, you know, just gorging themselves on pizza and fried chicken and all this stuff, you know, just trying to, you know, torment this, these poor families. Their children have drowned in the icy water in wow. the middle of winter. And, they're, you know, they're stuffing their faces while the victims' families are on, uh, on hunger strike. So... You know, in that respect, I think that kind of that kind of thing and that kind of attitude, and there have been a lot of issues, but I think that was been that has been a major issue where the the conservative party in Korea lost a lot of uh, goodwill. Hmm. Interesting. So, I, what were the questions? Is that I don't know if that answers the question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was just asking if you know, do you think Korea in general is getting more conservative or not, or less conservative, uh, or if it sounds like maybe it's reactions to these specific disasters and maybe the lack of grace or or you know whatever uh, shown by the ruling party in these times of you know sorrow or whatever. But I didn't know if it was more like oh you think maybe Korea in general is becoming more, I don't know, liberal or whatever? Well, it's a little hard to judge. I, I think I think the sentiment amongst the younger generation is that they're kind of waiting for the older generation to die off. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I, you know, I think there are a lot of people who participated in uh, democracy protests in the 1980s, maybe early 1990s, even a little bit. Anyways, members of the democracy movement here who, as they reach middle age and stuff, may start voting a little bit more conservatively. So hmm. I think the older generation is voting conservative, and the middle age generation is kind of mixed. The young generation is generally pretty liberal. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, maybe it's the same all over the world. But um, uh, it's... I don't know. It's a, it's a, you may have to edit this part. I'm kind of like at a loss for words. But, <laughs> Um, I, just, I think the thing I want to say is that, like, in 2007, when I first came here, a few months later, that was when the well, the president at that time was a guy named Nomo Jan, and he was, a, he was the second left-wing president, basically, that Saki had, and he was coming to the end of his term, and Korea voted for overwhelmingly for a guy named Im Young Bak, who was a, quite a right-wing guy. And within two months after having voted for him, a lot of people said they were going to vote for him, and they voted for him. And then within two months, everybody hated him because the American uh, free trade agreement with South Korea had passed under him. And everybody was protesting about American beef. They were worried that they were going to get mad cowboys from American beef. Mm-hmm. So there were massive, massive, massive protests all across the country, especially in Central Seoul. So there was quite a bit of anti-American sentiment at that time. Mm-hmm. And... 
And then again in 2012, most people, if you ask them, they would say that they were not going to vote for Bakun He. They didn't like her. But again, she won the election. So I don't know if it's a matter of people are not saying who they're really going to vote for, or if they don't want to, it seems unpopular to say that they're going to vote for the conservative candidate. Or if I just happen to live in a quite liberal section of the, of the country, and just generally most people here are not voting for her. But I, you know, I think there, are, I think there are a lot of people who wouldn't admit to voting for the conservative party even if they would. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. And I, I, yeah, and I think that there's an idea that uh, while while some people may lean left wing here, I think that there's also an idea that sometimes the left wing party overreaches or goes too far. I mean, like I said, with the with the Sewol ferry sinking, they tried to make a political issue out of that, and I don't think that there was, I don't think there was quite enough evidence to support what they were trying to actually say, so it kind of didn't look very good for them. Mm-hmm. Right. But, I mean, basically, I mean, South Korea has been a right-wing dictatorship since the, since the end of the Korean War. Um up until the 1980s. And in the 1980s, there were massive, massive democracy democracy protests. And in the late 80s and the early 90s, they started to have kind of the, the end of the right-wing leadership. And they ended up electing, uh, let me see, uh, Kim, oh man, I can't remember his name right now, Kim Dae-jun. Kim Dae-jung was the first left-wing president. Mm-hmm. And he started the Sunshine Policy with North Korea, which was an attempt to kind of make a peaceful situation with North Korea by relaxing some of the uh, financial restrictions on North Korea and various things like that in exchange for just basically a softening of relationships and um, more family visits and, you know, a kind of a demilitarization. Obviously, that didn't really end up succeeding. <laughs> North Korea basically doubled down on the nuclear weapons. Mm-hmm. And after Kim Dae-jung, it was No Mu Hyun who was the president when I arrived. He was the second liberal president and the final liberal president. Mm-hmm. And I think it was around 2009 or 2010, um, both of those men died. Um, Kim Dae-jung was just very old, and I think he passed away from old age or a disease. But Nomu Hyun um, committed suicide by jumping off a cliff um, near his hometown. Um, his brother was being investigated for uh, financial corruption while he was the president. And I think he thought that if he committed suicide, his family would be let off the hook for whatever they may or may not have done, they may have been compu- uh, accused of. And so he told his security guy, his, like, his bodyguard guy, to go and get him some cigarettes. And while the man went to get the cigarettes, he jumped off the cliff, and so the guy came back and he was dead. Mm. And so the, the death of both of the liberal presidents in the same year was quite a shock, I think, for Korea. Mm. But since then, they haven't selected another left-wing candidate, so I, you know, I don't know. It's an interesting, interesting thing. So a lot of Koreans would say that they're kind of heading back towards a right-wing dictatorship under Buck and Hay. I don't know if that's totally fair, but that's definitely a sentiment that I've heard from some Koreans. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Now, is right-wing yeah. compared, uh, you say right-wing, how does that compare to right-wing in America? 
I would say largely Protestant Christian, um, similarly to America as far as the evangelicals. Um, mm-hmm. Very anti-communist, so mm-hmm. perhaps similar to America, like in the 1950s or something. Mm-hmm. Um, anti-labor unions, probably. Um, Pro-big business. Mm-hmm. They love the, the, the chebol, which are the large conglomerates like uh, Samsung, Hyundai, Kia, um, you know, various others, Daewoo, all these large uh, companies that are family-owned conglomerates that basically dominate Korean society in some ways. Um, and the left wing was would be perhaps, perhaps in some cases less Christian, perhaps a little bit more Buddhist, or perhaps a little bit more atheist in some cases, or um, perhaps I mean Korea used to have kind of kind of shamanistic beliefs, and some of that may be on that side. Um, perhaps more sympathy for North Korea, leading up to potentially being actual socialist or communist in some cases, perhaps. Mm. That seems to be something that's accused sometimes. I don't know if that's fair or not also. Mm. Um, supportive of labor, <coughs> um, supporter of, supportive of worker, workers' rights, things like that, probably more so. Mm-hmm. <coughs> but on, I would say on both sides, I've seen plenty of financial corruption, bribery, influence peddling. I mean, that stuff is kind of a constant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. It almost sounds like in certain ways it's kind of a 1950s more version of, of right wing. Uh, so it kind of sounds like maybe, maybe probably, you know, definitely probably influenced by American uh, right wing thinking. I mean, we've been such a presence there for so long now. I can't imagine it wouldn't have an effect politically. So. Yeah, and I, I think America has had a big effect, but I mean, I think a lot of the anti-communist stuff, though, I think that, you know, well, let's see. I mean, again, this is, it's getting into a thing where there are potentially a number of factors that could cause that or could influence that. Obviously, one is that they share a border with a, a hostile communist nation. Sure. Um, or, you know, to what degree it's a communist nation and to what degree it's just a dictatorship is, you know, that's that's something you'd have to examine probably a little bit, but in name it's a communist dictatorship, and so, well, I guess in name it's a people's republic. Um, mm-hmm. But the fact that they still share a border with a hostile communist nation means that they are still strongly anti-communist in some degree in their politics, in a way that America has, you know, come to the point where a lot of Americans are ready to vote for somebody who identifies as a democratic socialist, right? Mm-hmm. So. In some ways, America has been able to move past that, I think, since we're, we're not directly confronting these nations anymore. Yeah, I remember uh, once once in college you said uh, the hippies uh, in America and <laughs> the the ideological children of the hippies are uh, definitely have a different view of communism than, say, someone in, like, uh, Stalinist, you know, Russia or something. <laughs> it's definitely... Yeah, <laughs> Some, I think sometimes there can be some naivety, mm-hmm. um, on, you know, in that way. Yeah. Um, so, but as to how bad things are, but I mean, um, you know, you could say that's not pure communism, mm-hmm. but then you could say, well, is there ever a case of pure communism? Does pure communism work? Is it, 
antithetical to human nature. Um, so there's, you know, there's a whole bunch of roads that you go down when you start talking about those things. But, um, well, sure. And, you know, North Korea is a very special case. You can't really use that as an example of all communism either. It, it's a very specific uh, situation where you have a very Stalinist version of it. And then you have this magical thinking around the dear leader and the great leader and the forever president and the birds talking when the guy's born and the double rainbows and everything so double rainbow yeah, yeah. so there, there is a bit of it you know ostensibly it's a uh, secular society but it, there is a lot of uh, you know worship in in north korea for sure so yeah yeah it's a, it's a, yeah the kind of the, the hero worship or the mm-hmm. hero uh, the hero worship of the leader or the cult of personality kind of supplants the uh, religious impulse in human mm-hmm. humanity um, and I mean, uh, actually, I mean, that, that kind of the idea, these ideas about uh, the kind of the origin story, the modern origin story of the births of the great leaders of North Korea are interesting in that they're so magical because like most societies, I mean, South Korea has a history, uh, uh, ancient, ancient, ancient history has some creation myths about the creation of Korea. Mm-hmm. Um, that are interesting and very, you know, magical in a way. I think one of them is quite interesting and quite fun. And, you know, I may, I, I, I want to tell it the right way because it's a fascinating story. And, you know, we, we have all these ancient myths from the Native Americans about how the world was formed and, you know, how people came to be and how we get fire. Or ancient Greek and ancient Greece and ancient Rome and all these ancient societies have all these magical stories featuring animals in them and stuff. And Korea has that, too. And this interesting story is the story about a guy named Dangun. Dangun or Dangun? I I hope to God I'm saying that right one of those ways. And I guess he was kind of like a a lord or some sort of a celestial being or something or a leader of the country in some way. And somehow a bear and a tiger... They wanted to become people. And so they came to him and they said to him, how can we become people? And he gave them 20 cloves of garlic. Mm -hmm. And he said, go into a cave and don't come out, don't see sunlight for 100 days. Mm -hmm. And I only want you to eat the garlic. I want you to only eat the garlic while you're in there. And um, so the bear and the tiger go into a cave in a mountain. And they, after 10 days, the tigers had enough. I don't know, maybe they're just eating too much garlic or something. It got pretty nasty in there. But um, the, the tiger runs out and leaves the cave, but the bear stays in for 100 days. And then she comes out, she becomes a beautiful woman, and she marries a human, and yada, yada, yada. After that, the story becomes much less compelling. But that's, that's kind of one of the, that's, that's one of the ancient, ancient origin myths of Korea. Wow. And, I don't know how I got on that topic, but it's an interesting story. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, but it is, uh, it is interesting that, you know, people say it's, you know, a communist, uh, godless society, but it's really, you know, if you if you see the, you know, videos of, of people, uh, especially mourning uh, Kim Jong-il, for example, when he died, you know, and, and just the uh, rapturous, uh, you know, just uh, mourning, public mourning in the street, you know, obviously that's, you know, a lot of that is forced because people are watching and you better make it look good for the cameras. But at the same time, I think there is a, a sense of, you know, like you said, kind of a 
uh, hero worship uh, origin story uh, kind of connected to this family. So, you know, it's like there is that impulse in people. And, and, you know, Stalin's Russia had similar things, too. I mean, he was trained in the seminary, and he knew that world, and he knew that Russians were, you know, in the Orthodox Church for years and years. And, you know, I think Putin's kind of bringing that back in a lot of ways, too. He's, he's definitely playing with that, those uh, traditions as well and in his, you know, the way he governs, but um, as far as that goes, you know, even in Stalin's Russia, you think of, oh, godless society, there was still, you know, a, you know, a worshipful, you know, kind of religious aspect to the way that they went about things. So. Yeah, and I, I think when they have the death of one of the great leaders or whatever in North Korea, I think that a lot of that is probably genuine. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about it, they've had one ruling family since World War II. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've had two members until 2011. They had Kim Il-sung and Kim Jong-il. And, you know, they're at threat from most of the world. They're isolated from a lot of the world, and America doesn't like them, and South Korea is on their border, and they don't know what China's going to do exactly. So probably for a lot of the people, they feel like, oh, well, this leader, whether he's good or bad, he's a, you know, he's a guy who has kept us basically safe from the outside world for, you know, 10 or 20 or 30 or 50 years or whatever. And when he dies, that's obviously a very... That's a situation where they have to transfer the power and they're at risk from, Mm -hmm. you know, um, manipulation from outside or invasion or who knows what, and they don't really probably know very well if they're going to maintain their safety. And, you know, they may have some justified or unjustified affection for the family one way or another. So I have a feeling that may be more genuine than a lot of outsiders suspect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of just thought they were doing a lot of it for show, but yeah, I mean, well, I mean, what else do they know? You're right. I mean, that's pretty much the only media they're getting is, you know, from the, you know, radios that have to be on in their houses all the time and, you know, that kind of stuff, but. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I imagine, I mean, we weren't around when John F. Kennedy was killed and obviously John F. Kennedy was a much more charismatic and perhaps benevolent leader. But I imagine Americans cried when that happened, so. Sure. Yeah, and he was another, you know, son of a famous, you know, um, you know, national, you know, leader. You know, his father was definitely uh, somebody that people knew, and it was a family, and yeah, that's that's a good analogy, so. But, yeah, kind of the, the Camelot, right? The American Camelot or something. Mm-hmm. That, that um, kind of the, the impulse to monarchy. Yeah, yeah, divinely inspired uh, rule. Definitely, there's there's something in the human character that that cries out for it. You know, I I do think that that you know kind of could bring this back to the Clintons or whatever. And the you know the Bush is pretty spectacularly flamed out this this time. I would yeah, poor poor Jeb exclamation mark at the end of his name. R.I.P. to his campaign. Um, but you know, yeah. America, you know, definitely seems like they you know we we apparently like that about you know uh, you know maybe it's our hair heritage of monarchy from England, but like we we're just talking about, this happens all over the world, so maybe there is something about people like the, you know, there is consistency, like you were saying, you know, it's like people like mm-hmm. that there's, you know, some institutional, not knowledge, but, you know, at least like you feel like you get to know these people and you get to, you know, experience them from the generations on down, and it is upsetting when that gets, you know, disturbed or whatever, so I, I do think there is something about, you know, people that they want <laughs> they want that apparently so yeah 
So I, I would I would like to think that human, that Americans are in 2016 are far enough removed from you know. Uh, British imperialism and British colonization and stuff that we don't have the imperial impulse or the uh, the mono- the impulse to have a monarch as the leader mm-hmm. from that time period. But I, if it's not that, then I think that it must be something, you know, a basic human need or a human desire to have that. Right. So, yeah. yeah, definitely. Well, we've been talking for a while, man. Is there anything else uh, you want to talk about? Did you heard any good K-pop lately? <laughs> Um, I've, I've sort of been compiling a list and unfortunately the list is in my phone. I need to transcribe it onto some paper. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, there, okay, there was one, um, K-pop song that I may have mentioned last time. I can't remember or not, but it, you had asked about hip hop or rap in Korea mm-hmm. and is it, is it original or is it kind of very, very, very derivative from American, you know, uh, American uh, hip-hop and rap culture. Mm-hmm. I think mostly it is very derivative in a lot of ways, but there was one good song, or interesting song anyways, called Kobuk Sun. Mm. And I can't remember who wrote that song. Kobuk Sun is, that means turtle ship. And a turtle ship was a kind of battleship that Koreans had invented hundreds of years ago when they were being invaded by the Japanese at one point. Mm. It seems like throughout Korea's history, they're always being invaded by the Chinese or the Japanese on one mm-hmm. side or the other. Right. And they had one of their national heroes is a guy named Yi Sun Shin. Sun Shin Lee. Um, he was a general for the Korean uh, Navy. And he invented a kind of ship that couldn't be invaded. I think the Japanese had ninja. You know, I don't know what their warriors were called, but they had these people who would... They would board, they would, you know, come up alongside a Korean boat and jump on board and kill everybody on board. Mm. And so Isun Shin invented a kind of boat that had a hard top that had these pointy spikes on the top, too, so that if anybody jumped on the, the roof of the boat, they would hurt their feet and they would not be able to get inside very easily. Mm. And supposedly a very, very small number of these ships, like 30 or 100 of these ships, were able to defeat something like several hundred or a thousand Japanese ships in the major battle. And so, so this ship is a, you know, kind of a, a proud symbol, the turtle ship or the turtle boat in Korea is a big symbol of national pride. And so this, this hip hop song is called Kabuk Sun, which is named after that ship. And it's hmm. not totally about Isun Shin, but it's something about like, I'm rolling on the waves in my turtle boat and I'm having a good time or something like this. It, it, it's a hip hop song through and through, Interesting. but it definitely has a very, very strong Korean character to it. So. Huh. I mean, that's something that I would recommend people check out if they want to learn a little bit about Korean hip-hop. Um, and the the kind of the originators of Korean hip-hop are a, a pair of guys called, oh, God, I can't think of their name right now, Tiger JK or something like that. The the band's name is um, Drunken Tiger, and they had a song called Do You Know Hip Hop, <laughs> which is only slightly Konglishy. Um, but they've had the, those two guys. If you look up their discography, then you'll discover basically in the 1990s the origins of uh, rap and hip hop in Korea. Interesting. Well, I think the thing that made me think of it is that it seems like a lot of these uh, girl and, and and boy groups that we were talking about last time. It seems like there's one like designated member that they're like, all right for the last, you know, verse or whatever, we're going to bring you in and you're going to be the rapper and you're going to do this very <laughs> simplistic rap uh, kind of at the end. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so. 
Yeah, sometimes it's a little embarrassing or something, but it's kind of like, I, I don't know, it's a, something they do. No, it's like something I like. I wait for it almost. You know? I'm just like, all right, which one of you is oh, going to... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, uh, I, I think, yeah, I know in certain bands I sort of know who the person is that they have. I, I think there was a woman named CL and like Miss A or 21 or something. I think 21. Yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I think I'm thinking kind of specifically of the wonder girls. Uh, so hot. Uh, oh, isn't, yeah. isn't there one that yeah. kind of jumps in at the end? Uh, some, cause I'm so hot or whatever, you know what I mean? At the end. There. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's, it's entirely possible. It's actually, it's probably been a couple of years since I've heard that song, but I, mm-hmm. you know, I can still hear the chorus in my head. But it, it was a major, major song around 2007, 2008. So, but um, I haven't heard it for a little while. But yeah, I'm sure there is a rap line in there. Oh yeah, for definitely. sure. Well, even the ones that aren't rapping per se, they definitely there's definitely a hip hop you know influence to the way they sing or you know present things or whatever. I was oh, even yeah. thinking of uh, Rain Rainism as we talked about last time. Um, you know, he definitely uh, <laughs> I gotta be a bad boy. <laughs> you know, that's even kind of a hip hop <laughs> uh, influence right there. And he's not even really rapping; he's more singing or whatever. But you can definitely tell it's like it's just funny to see from America the culture kind of, you know, disseminated through the world and then they get their take on it, you know, wherever. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it's a, I think it's a very interesting question whether that's a, you know, appropriation or, um, what's, what's the more beneficial or what's the more benign term, uh, <laughs> kind of, uh, the, the sincerest form of flattery. Yeah. Imitation uh, or something. Yeah. Or imitation. Imitation. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, you know, I think it's probably a little bit on both sides, but yeah, it's definitely a, a, a case of, you know, cultural mixing as far as <laughs> one cultural informing or influencing another culture for better or worse. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't think that they're, you know, these, these, the, the hip hop stars in Korea are not from the streets. They're not selling drugs. They're not, you know. <laughs> They're not. They're not living that life. So, you know, there there may be a large element of appropriation. Too. Yeah, but but I don't think there's a pressure on them to to do that. It's just like this is another tool in your toolbox you can use. And whereas in America, it's like, are you real? How real are you? Are you from the streets? Yeah. You know what I mean? Do you have pictures of money yeah. on Instagram? Even though you're going bankrupt, <laughs> like I'm referencing Fifty Cent, of course. But <laughs> oh, is that what he did? Uh, yeah, he declared oh, bankruptcy yeah. and then. The judge recalled him back into court after he posted like a freezer full of hundred dollar bills or something. He like, but then he like had to, like embarrassingly, Fifty Cent had to then uh, claim in court that the money was fake or someone else's or something. You know, it was like he had to just be like, "Look, man, it's just for my sh- just for my business or something." <laughs> Yeah, I, well, I think that's a, I think that's a very self-serving, un, you know, untrue or a self-serving untruth where you know. The, the, the intended audience has already gotten the message. <laughs> yeah. How we said Donald Trump disavowing racism yeah, right. the next day. Exactly. <laughs> it's it's kind of like, you know, everybody everybody who wants to see 50 cents freeze the folds of money, they know it was real money, and they know he just has to say that in court because, you know, you know the man is making him. Yeah. Uh, but they know what it really was. And, you know, the judge is like, well, okay, yeah, maybe it was, maybe that's plausible, but it wasn't real money. <laughs> yeah. 
Exactly. But just having to admit in court that it's like, wait, look, this is my business. I have to, it's an appearance thing, man. You know, it's like, you know, we all know it's yeah. true, but, you know, at the same time, it's like, well, I'm, I'm sure with these, uh, you know, Korean rappers, they aren't like, you know, where's your criminal record, Rain? <laughs> we want to see the mugshot. Oh, yeah. If they had a real criminal, if they had a real criminal record, record they could not be Korean rappers, probably. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, they, um, there, were, there was a guy a couple of years ago called MC Mong, and he he had some good songs actually. And let me let me let me promote one of his songs. Which song was it? MC Mong. I think he had one called The Circus, and he had a, one or two other songs that were pretty good too. But he got in trouble because they found out that he had he was a real this this was a very hard hardened criminal in Korea. Um, he had intentionally pulled out some of his molars or something so that he didn't have to do the Korean military service. Wow. So he was a draft dodger. Okay. And as soon as that came out, he lost his, he lost his career. I mean, he was a popular singer, but it was over. Like it hmm. was finished overnight because he had dodged the draft here and that was considered a very bad thing. Um, Sai had a similar thing. Sai had been in trouble for dodging the draft too at a younger age, I think, or not doing his military service, but, um, finally, he went back and did it at a later date. I think hmm. he he completed his military service maybe in his early thirties or something. Wow, which is uncommon, but it, it is you know acceptable. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, so they don't they don't definitely tolerate any kind of antisocial or anti you know whatever behavior. It sounds like even in their pop stars. Yeah, well, they don't like it. Um, I think there are certain kinds of behavior that you could get away with. Um, I, you know, uh, I don't know what those would be. I mean, maybe I, I think one of the Big Bang guys flipped his Porsche on the street one time. Uh, his Porsche was found upside down. I don't know if he was drunk or not, but, um, Uh-oh. you know, obviously not the best driver. Right. But, um, I mean, Big Bang is so big. I mean, they're not as big as they were, but, like, I don't think that's related. Um, so, um, and I think, I don't know, I think there are certain kinds of crimes you can get away with and certain kinds of crimes you can't get away with. <laughs> I think, you know, members of Korean society know where that line is. Right. Agree. Well, it kind of reminds me of in the 90s when the WB was going strong and they had all their, their shows or whatever, and then there was the contracts they all had to sign, like the, you know, uh, you won't, you know, show your navel or, you know, like all the decency clauses they had in their contracts and stuff. It sounds like one big kind of WB situation in <laughs> Korean pop oh, culture. Yeah, yeah. I, well, um, I mean, I think I think there is a lot of, you know, you, there's often a lot of cover-up of who they're dating or if they're dating anybody. Mm. Those are kind of kept secret because they want to preserve the, you know, the image that they could be somebody's boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in Japan there was a band that was sort of similar. It was kind of like one of these kind of manufactured bands that was called AK-48 or something like that. Mm. And it has 48 members, and they're all women or something. Oh, my gosh, 48? And one of them... <laughs> yeah. crazy. And one of the women was photog- she was photographed going into a hotel with her boyfriend or something. Nobody knew she had a boyfriend. And so, you know, immediately her label said, no, you have to, you disgrace the band and you can't, like, you, 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 it's horrible, really horrible what you did. And so she shaved her head and issued a tearful apology. Oh, my gosh. I, I assume she broke up with her boyfriend. <laughs> um, <laughs> or he broke up with her, right? <laughs> Well, yeah, it's a, I, I'm pretty sure it was the other way. I can't be seen with this bald-headed woman. Well, 
I think it was that, you know, she had to demonstrate that she was properly ashamed of her behavior. Wow. So, so is that, that's the so way that you show that you're, you're sorry for that is, is to shave your head? Um, in Japan, I guess. I, I've, wow. I've never seen that in Korea, but, uh, okay. but I think there is a similar impulse for the, for the young pop stars not to appear to have boyfriends or mm. hookups or, you know, relationships necessarily. Wow. Um, although, you know, sometimes if they're dating another celebrity, then it's okay. Hmm. But. Interesting. Yeah, but obviously it damages the fans' fantasy of them sometimes. So that's, you know, I think that's the problem. Right. But that's kind of an unrealistic standard in a lot of ways. It's like the kids in Menudo are going to start shaving eventually, but, you know. <laughs> to use yeah. a, a different boy band yeah. situation, but. Wait, what, what band is that called? Uh, Menudo. It was the band. Um, it was like a Mexican uh, boy band that uh, Ricky Martin was a part of in his young days. Um, uh, he what, was, was their, what was their hit? Like, did they have a hit? Oh, yeah, they had a hit. I, I am blanking on it now, but um, it was definitely, you know, you would probably know it if you heard it. But they, they anyway, they cycled yeah. through like 20 and 30 members over the, they might even still be going for all I know. Um, but basically the rule was as soon as you have to shave, you're out. Um, so it's like you have oh, to man. like keep this, uh, you know, illusion that of eternal youth or whatever, and they'll basically just cycle through as many people as they have to to keep that uh, illusion going or whatever. But you know, it's like people, you know, people get older, people hit puberty. You know, sorry, it's gonna happen. So, and people like, and you're talking about people are gonna have relationships. These people are, you know, human beings like the rest of us. So. Yeah. But, yeah. Number one, I mean, more than that, they're hot human beings. <laughs> so hot, they're so hot, as the song goes. <laughs> and so, yeah, so hot, so hot, and can't get a date. That story. <laughs> so, but yeah, yeah, that, no, there is something very perverse about that. That strong need to have, you know, celebrities be, turn, be, be remain eternally youthful and eternally celibate. And yeah, there's something wrong with that, but I don't know. Yeah, something for some reason it persists. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Well, is there any other uh, Korean pop that you can think of here? Oh, I, I I've got a list, but I, I need to go through the list and curate it a little bit, and you know, get some English translations, listen to the songs, and make sure that I can speak somewhat intelligently about them sometime. <laughs> yeah, I think there's there's definitely some more work I need to do before okay. I can confidently give any more recommendations right now. Uh, okay, all right, but, fair um, enough. Yeah, but in the future, sometime, yeah, I'll, I'll put together a pretty good list. I think, and hopefully, somewhat comprehensive. Okay, cool. Like a oh yeah. Um, no, one one song, um, Two Wheels. Uh song is called Dubakui. Dubakui, I think it's called Two Wheels. It's about it's this is a this is a, a younger man singing, but it's in the style of a traditional older style of Korean music called trot. Trot music. Hmm. And this song is hilarious. <laughs> it's um it's 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 just the vo the vocals on it are amazing and ridiculous and it's about He's like, two wheels, two wheels, you and I are like two wheels, we go around and round or something, we're always together. I don't, I don't know how it goes, but it's, it's an epic song, it's totally epic. And it's somewhat funny, so I'll, I'll leave you with that one, I think that's my final recommendation for today. Gotcha. I can't remember the guy's name who sings it, but if you look for two wheels, or Dubakui. Uh-huh. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, uh, 
the, the Menudo song is Hold Me, by the way, not that I remember that one. It was from 1985. It was the only song that ever charted in America. The rest of them were Spanish language, but it doesn't matter. Anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, um, that, the name sounds familiar, but I couldn't. I totally couldn't place it. I didn't realize that Ricky Martin was affiliated with that. So that's, yes, yeah, that's interesting. He was. Long before, she, you know, the interesting connections, of course. Back to She Bangs, of course. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> It always comes back to that, doesn't it? It always comes back to that, man. Uh, American Idol finished up. It's done. Okay. Yeah. I I don't know why. I don't know what changed. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, maybe uh, people... I, I don't know. I can't really intelligently comment on that. <laughs> That's okay. I've probably seen as much as you have since you've been there. So, but um, yeah. Anyway, well, it's good, good talking to you, man. I'm glad we uh, got to do this again. And like, you're you're welcome back anytime. And uh, yeah, let's, let's. All right. Well, thanks again, Bob, and um, good luck to your good luck to everything. And um, I hope every uh, all of your listeners are having a great week. And uh, yeah, yeah. Thanks again for having me on. Yeah, for sure. Well, and also have... check check out my check out my brother's Jefferson Street uh, music uh, facility there in in uh, Northwest Bloomington. Also, yeah, I, I feel like I should uh, give that some uh, give that some more um, exposure there. So this time I do have something to promote. <laughs> well, cool, man. That was a little bit inartful, a little ungraceful, perhaps, but um, yeah, that's something that I think should be promoted. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's let's yeah, let's get the word out about that for sure. And uh, you should start a blog or something, man, because you the Facebook posts you have are hilarious, uh, especially the uh, the one about the the thing that gets repeated on the radio to help people learn English. That cracks me up. Um, oh yeah, yeah. I'll have to I'll have to put together some stories about the numerous hilarious and funny incidents that I encounter. Oh, definitely. Almost every day in Korea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have to do that sometime. Definitely. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, it was good talking to you, man. And, uh, well, let's do this again soon. So. All right. Yeah. Have a great time. Yeah. Talk to you soon. Bye. Yeah.